I moderated a few panels where the panelists were all women and I was, you know, just I was using my Michelle. <laughs> my, Michelle. My, exactly. My, yes. My, the mispronunciation of my first name, Michelle, yes. is my, kind of my alter ego. Mm-hmm. Now, but jokes aside, so I've been in those conversations and a few of these very experienced women in finance. And one of the suggestions that came up is making sure there is enough conversations, husband and wife or, you know, partners about finance early on. And a lot of people are just a bit scared mm. about thinking about money. You, do you think that's still the case? It depends. I think, yeah, in some, in some cases, yes. And again, I think it goes down to education, right? But still, having a basic understanding will give you enough confidence to have the conversation. You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Michele Ferrario, the founder and CEO of Stash Away in the House. Thank you for having me and super, super happy to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited. And thanks for taking the time before leaving, you know, before traveling again tomorrow. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. No worries. Actually, I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have. So today we're going to talk a little bit about a few things. We're going to talk about the current state of play in the robo-advisory space right now, how the downturn is affecting the various players, and also we're going to be talking a little bit on the gender divide when it comes to investing. But I also wanted to touch on your early days, why you decided to bring robots into Singapore, what you think of other robots entering the market, how the industry has been affected by the recent downturn, and finally, how Stash Away is differentiating by focusing on women, which is a topic that I like. So it sounds like there's a lot to unpack, so let's get into it, right? So when you first decided to bring Robos to Singapore, this is back in the mid-2010s when you were the CEO of Zalora, and you decided to launch Stashaway as a digital wealth management service when you found out that there, there were, you know, I mean, lack of digital wealth management services in Asia. So tell me a little bit more about that time. Yeah, so the, as you briefly mentioned, the idea of Stash Away came from my personal dissatisfaction with the way I thought the financial services industry was not serving me. In particular, I was the CEO of Zalora, so I was decently paid. I was starting to save some money and I was in a phase of my life where I wanted to start thinking about money seriously. And what age was this? I was 36. Ah, 36. Is was, that uh, t- t- Actually, no, 35 actually. 35. Uh, I was 35. It was 2016. And yeah, so I had two kids. Now I have three. You know, obviously there are, those are times where you need to stop thinking about money in a, in a longer term way. I started to have a bit more money than I used to and I wanted to do the right things. And so I went to the two bank where I had bank accounts with, hoping that they would help me do what is right. And I have a background in finance, so I had a perspective on what I wanted to do, even if at the time I was managing a fashion company. Earlier in my career, I was actually in finance. And so I was a bit surprised by conversations that I had with the relation managers on both banks, because I felt that their only focus was selling me something rather than helping me think about what is the right thing to do. And I had a perspective on that. And so that was the first building point that kind of put kind of question marks in my mind on, okay, what can I do? Given that I don't have a lot of time, I was working very hard, I had kids, etc., and I want to do the right thing. And at that point, what were you invested in? Were you invested in some equities? I had had mostly cash, which obviously Ah. was stupid at 35 years old, but (laughs) because I was 
again, working 16, 17 hours a day and I had two kids, mm. I had de facto all cash. Yes. And uh, and that was exactly the problem I was trying to solve. I was like, look, I need to do something with my with the savings I have. Mm. You know, I'm obviously late to this, but, you know, I, I was starting to have a bit more meaningful savings and it was a good time to think about it. And so the second thing that happened is that I found out about the existence of digital wealth managers in the U.S. Uh, or, you know, they, were, they used to be called robo-advisors. I don't like the term, but that's that's the term that, you know, came Most up. Most people identify with anyway. It, exactly. And so what I did is I saw that and it was pretty random, the fact that I discovered about it. And uh, so I went on Google and I wrote robo-advisor Singapore. And the reason I did that is that I wanted to invest my own money because I thought, you know, low cost, fully digital, easy to diversify, using ETFs. That was what I was looking for. It's exactly what I was asking the banks. And because nothing came up, on, uh, on Google, I was like, haha, maybe that's what I should be doing. And I realized it was not just my problem. It was a wide, more widespread problem. So when I realized nobody was doing this, and there was actually platforms that have done this successfully in other geographies, I thought this actually is something that I could kind of uh, help build. Okay. And fast forwarding to now, right, 2022, we're seeing a sea change in the markets, especially right now as well as the competitor. So what do you feel differentiates that way against the other competitors? Look, the reality is that it's very early days in the digitization of wealth, let's call it this way. And so helping people uh, manage their uh, manage their wealth. And uh, when you look at any of the markets where we are, let's just look at Singapore as an example. There is more than one trillion US dollars in financial wealth. And a actually very tiny percentage of that is managed by fully digital players. So to me, if you ask me who are your main competitors, the main competitors remain the banks, where most of people keep most of their money. And unfortunately, in this region, Singapore, as well as the rest of Southeast Asia, most people have way too much cash, which means way too much. You know, it's good that the people are able to save quite a bit, but unfortunately, very few people actually get their money to really work for them. And, uh, you know, the statistics are around 40% of people's financial wealth for zero are in cash or bank accounts, while the number in the U.S. is 14%. So to me, that's where the competition is. Now, you're right that in general, also, there is now a number of players, either the banks launching digital products or other other players that have launched digital products. So how do we differentiate this? There are, I think, a few areas where we excel. First one is we provide a seamless experience, leveraging, I think, a deeper use of technology than anybody else. We are a real tech company. Half of our payroll cost goes to engineers. And I think that creates a difference that clients see on the app. So that's the first point. How do you define that seamless experience? Things are super easy. It's easy to use. It's simple to understand. Things are explained well. And you can, I think that our approach of being a genuine partner to clients comes through from the experience on the app. Uh, You know, we try to explain things that are videos explaining concepts that maybe for somebody are very simple and for others are not. Uh, And we try to kind of be very transparent because our incentives are completely in line with the clients, which I think is what makes the biggest difference versus the banks. So that's the first one is seamless experience. Secondly, uh, in terms of product offering, we have actually been expanding over the last uh, nine, 10 months quite a bit. And so on top of our core product portfolios, which are diversified portfolios across asset classes, kind of what I was looking for six years ago, that you know, that was kind of the first thing. We have been launching cash management products. So we have Stashway Simple and Stashway Simple Plus that offer uh, yield on cash. Uh, and we've also offered a few other things. So we offer ESG portfolios, we offer thematic portfolios, and that kind of creates a complete offering for our clients. On top of it, for higher net worth individuals, so in uh, in Singapore lingo or MES lingo accredited investors, 
We also offer access to private markets through PEVC and angel investing products. And then third, there is a quality of service outside of the app that also I don't think anybody else is even trying to reach. So if you call our customer support team, uh, we pick up the phone in less than eight seconds. We respond to WhatsApp in less than an hour. There is a WhatsApp button uh, uh, embedded in the app. We respond to email same day. And you never talk to a bot. Like we don't have bots anywhere. You always talk to a human being. And yes, people call us a robo advisor, but there are areas where humans are much better than computers. And that's one of them is understanding people and trying to address issues and trying to help people solve issues. So that's, we have a clear perspective that, you know, that's an area where we want human beings talking to human beings rather than bots. And so the combination of these three, seamless experience on the app, kind of a product assortment that uh, is uh, quite uh, unique and, and very well constructed and strong ability to help clients whenever they have a question or a, or a problem or a comment, uh, I think is actually quite unique unique in the marketplace right now. I had an additional question, which is like, you know, investing behaviors across the different demographics, because we're going to talk about it a little bit from a gender perspective. But I, I know that, you know, with regards to your, your, user, your user group, most of them would be, would there be millennials and Gen Zs? Or, you know, is there a group where they are... Look, the majority of our assets come from people aged 30 to 45. So mm. I guess it's kind of a, you know, millennials now are... Millennials are, and older. Exactly. Millennials are now 40 years old, some millennials. Oh, know? gosh, yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm a borderline millennial. I'm 41. Mm. Uh, but so jokes aside, 30 to 45 is where most of our assets come. But we have a lot of clients in the 20s. Obviously, they have less money for obvious reasons. And so we see them growing over time. What we, we see is people that are a bit older, so you know, 30 to Late 35 30s. to 45, let's say, mm-hmm. they tend to actually behave in a, in what we believe is a right way, correct way, which more is rational. exactly more rational. Stay in the course. Correct. Correct. Stay in the course, being more systematic, investing on, a, you know, every month, not freaking out when, the, you know, when there is a crash like March 2020 uh, and, uh, and rather stay invested. And that's just a driven by experience. Maybe people have gone through 2008, uh, and so they've been through a kind of an up and down in market, or simply, you know, also the way you think about your money, as I mentioned earlier for myself, you know, when you, once you start to have responsibility toward other people, because you get married and you start to have kids, I think that's when you start thinking about your money maybe in a slightly different way, and, and those people tend to maybe think about long, longer term a bit more. Given that you talked about the market downturn, right? So let's talk about how the industry has been affected by the recent market downturn. In general, the industry, meaning the wealth management industry overall, of course, is negatively affected, meaning that uh, assets under management just go down linearly with yes. with the markets. And uh, in general, when people are a bit more scared of investing, of course, the industry uh, is, uh, is a bit more negative. On the other side, though, I think the people that have actually lost the most money has been the one that have actually been managing uh, their portfolios, not as portfolios, but as single bets like with, bets. with strong concentration. Like long, you know, big concentration on crypto or even like, a, you know, one single token, you know. I mean, that's the extreme. But <laughs> yes. even if you go a bit less extreme and you see people that only had money in like two tech companies, three tech companies, uh, you, know, you know, Netflix and Tesla and one more or something like that. And there's no diversification. Exactly. There. So there's no diversification. They're all very correlated. Unfortunately, the tech industry has been uh, very badly hit mm. by the, the current bear market. And, you know, it doesn't mean that this is not going to recover. But as you, if you take a picture today, those are the people that took the biggest hit to, like, after crypto, of course. Yes, yes. And, uh, and China uh, tech. 
Exactly. Exactly. It's been China Tech last year. It's been US Tech in the last nine months. It's been crypto, you know, the last four or five months. Mm. And and so I think in general, uh, the f- players like Stash Away that offer the ability to diversify the portfolio and kind of force people into this thinking actually have demonstrated during the last few months that, you know, if you actually think about your asset allocation in a bit more sophisticated manner, and you think about your investment with more risk-managed logic, you're actually going to get better during periods of high volatility like today. And obviously, people last year thought that, you know, everybody thought that we were Warren Buffett because everybody uh, was kind of investing in, the, you know, two, three tech stocks were making a lot of money. And the reality is that, you know, it's uh, over a long period of time, is a bit more complex than that. Yes, I think people don't often, you know, when they listen to a piece of advice, right? The thing is, everybody's holding period and exit time is different, right? There's some people who are in there for a few months and they let go of it. But then, you know, if you hear on the stock and then you're like, okay, I'm going to hold this for two, three years and maybe that, that return is right. No, correct. And, you know, for one thing that we have been investing a gigantic you know, amount of time and effort since we started is education. We have something called Stashway Academy. Core con- the first core con- Concept we try to tell people is that there is a correlation that you need to think about how much risk you want to take given how much time you want to stay invested. And so it doesn't make any sense for people to talk about stock investing if you have a nine months time horizon. And, uh, and this is something that not many people understand. And that's why I think it's so important that the industry overall, and we do our fair share, I think, uh, try to help people learn more about investing. At the end of the game, money has a, just a gigantic impact on the quality of your life over time. And managing that properly and doing what is intelligent and proper at every point in time can have significant effects on the level of choices you have in your life. And I'm not just talking about retirement, even before that, you know, the, the possibilities you give to your family or the possibilities you have yourself to take a different path. And that comes from a few core concepts. And one of them is definitely make sure that your risk is commensurate with, uh, kind of has, is coherent, let's say, with timeline you have, as well as on your ability to withstand the ups and downs of a potential investment. Okay. And so tell us more about how Stash Away is focused on the gender divide. So are female investors a focus going forward? No, it's not a sole focus, but obviously, you know, we want to have both male and female clients. And uh, as we looked at our data, we realized a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, we realized that we were a bit underpenetrated on on the female market. So we asked ourselves why, and we talked to women and we looked at data. And what we realized that a lot of women leave to their partner the uh, kind of the driving of of financial decision. You know, the the number is 68%. So 68% of women tend to leave to their partner, their kind of the decision making on on investments. And which which year was this? Because I think it's very recent. This is actually very recent. Uh, It's our latest survey. So it's a Mm. year. You know, this year. Mm. And you're right, perhaps it's changing. So I think every couple has a different balance. And what I think is important is that that balance is built on similar level of financial education, or at least a minimum basis of financial education, because it's important, you know, a woman or a man can decide to leave to the partner. Uh, you know, Investment so, making decisions. Exactly. Yes. That's fine, provided that the other partner understands broadly why that choice was made mm. and uh, what it entails. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, you don't need to have always, you know, a double signature on every decision, but you need to understand why you're making certain decisions and you need to the understand what are the... and the downside. Correct. And the risk you're taking and whether you're comfortable with it. Uh, and also a basic decision on whether you want to pull money together or keep it separate. Because maybe in your conversation with your partner, you realize that your partner has a much higher risk propensity than you have. And so maybe the best thing to do is kind of keep some of their 
pockets of money separate. On the other side, if you have similar risk propensity and kind of, you know, because of how money comes and gets spent into the family, it makes sense to keep the money together. My case, for instance, with my wife, we keep the money together. But at least, you know, we need to make sure that what we do makes sense for both, not just for me, if, I, if I'm the one making the decision. That's why she invests, which is our... Uh, what kind of what you were mentioning earlier has been our effort over the last uh, uh, last last year or so on uh, on kind of a female investing has been mostly focused on education. We've tried to actually help women learn more about the basics of personal finance and invest because we think that that layer of understanding is necessary in order to make sure that those conversations happen and actually create good outcomes for both parties in a couple, for instance. Okay, I had this conversation recently where. We- we were actually talking about that gender difference. There is one uh, between in, in terms of like investment styles, right? And I find that females are a lot more careful with their analysis if they are already in that investing space and the, everything is you know from a very considered approach. Whereas sometimes I feel that let's say if I were to observe guys investing, or you know if you look at the people who are investing in GameStop, or the people who are investing of comments on Reddit, a lot of that tends to be a very male, a lot of them are male and that is a very emotion-driven kind of investing. Whereas for females, I find that they actually take a more considered approach. What do you think? Our data actually confirms that. So our data confirms that on average, our female clients tend to actually have a more, let's say, reflective approach or less active approach, which we think is the right approach when you're thinking about investing long-term. And so, and we start from the small things. I think uh, male clients tend to have a higher probability of opening the app and checking returns more often. So they have more app open Correct, rates. correct. What's, the, what's the difference? How many times it's, is it? I actually don't have the number top of my mind. It's yeah, two uh, times, three no, times. It's, no, it's not as much, but it's, it's, a, you know, it's more it's like 10, 20% or something like that, but it's actually a bit higher. Mm. And this actually propagate across across different behaviors. So this is one behavior, like opening the app more often. The second behavior is having a less consistent deposit behavior. So instead, you know, Instead of depositing monthly, which is... Did we in chunks? Exa- either big chunks, exactly. Big chunks, maybe withdraw, then big chunks again, then withdraw. You know, I have averages, of course. Like our, our average client tends to actually be quite systematic. But when you look at the averages, females tend to be a bit more systematic than men. So you're right. In that perspective, you know, people, the women that are actually involved with their investments, that actually seems to have a behavior that is broadly considered more savvy, let's say. Maybe less emotional. Correct, but uh, as opposed to what people usually think of women. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and I haven't thought about that way, but I, I fair enough. Yeah. But I think what's missing is that it's just that there is a lot of women that are simply out of this, out of this lodge. Like they simply don't invest, right? So I think part of our effort has been in making sure that we educated a, a few more people to think about it. With regards to sort of you know there, there's the education part, but in terms of acquiring more female users, what's the tech that you guys are taking? I don't think there is a kind of a channel topic here on you know to invest more on you know Facebook versus these other other you know versus Google versus uh, offline etc I think it's more around creating word of mouth with women happy with how we help them understand more about how they could think about their money or their family money and that I think is what's been working for us also for our male clients to be honest you know statue has been really built on word of mouth more than anything else and I think the same applies to our female customer base where our biggest sponsor our own clients that you know call our clients and that's what we've been trying to do since the very beginning what we'll continue to do I think it's worth doing I think um, one thing is you know because we talked about Reddit I'm sure that you know not everybody makes investment decisions off Reddit but a lot of that stock discussions are sort of male dominated and I was just speaking to a female the other day and she comes from the finance industry and 
she actually thinks that, you know, there could, should be, in her words, safe spaces. Like safe spaces is a very popular term amongst the Gen Zs right now. I even had to learn that myself. But she was saying that there, there could be a need for safe spaces for women to discuss stocks. Because, you know, there could be forums and there could be very active discussions on, you know, should I buy or sell Meta now? Or, you know, what? how should, should I be thinking about Tesla? That kind of thing. But let's say if that forum is very male-dominated and sometimes you don't even need to look at their profiles. You can sort of get a sense from how they are talking that they are males and then like females will just like check out. They're just like, I'm not going to be involved in this conversation. Sometimes there's also um, examples of females being attacked for how they think about a certain investment just because the other people participating on the forum are like, oh, you know, you're female. Like, how do you know? You know, there's a, there's a little bit of that sexist kind of comments there. Yes, I'm sure. To be honest, because of the way I think about investments, you know, for myself and obviously for our clients at this point, I just don't think that the idea of discussing stocks online with people you have no idea where they're who, coming who they from are, what the background is you and know, you what, what agenda they have correct you don't know if whoever is replying to you is you know a 16 years old high school student that has never invested in their lives or if he's the CIO of the biggest hedge fund in the world you can't you know you cannot wait whether you know the opinion comes from one one part or the other and so my general f- feeling is that actually it's good that women are a bit scared off of this platform if that's, that's what's happened yeah. it's probably a good thing mm. I don't feel the need for a kind of a women focused platform that enables the same level of uh, kind of a not deep enough understand you know focus on on investments or stocks in this particular case I am very for the case of you know getting more women to invest by themselves uh, even though if they, they have 100% trust spouses can invest money for that I think they still got to do it because it Eventually, you know, many women, as we know, will outlive their spouses, right? And what I've seen even in my gerontological studies is that sometimes when the woman leaves too much to the husband and the husband passes on, the woman is left almost like helpless because they're like, you know what, I've left all this financial planning to my husband and what do I do now? So I think that it is very important for women to sort of like take the lead on their own knowledge of investing in the financial markets, how they are looking to allocate capital, what's their runway for their savings, Things like that. The other thing is divorce, right? I think like because of divorce rates rising, that's that's the other thing where you don't need to wait for your spouse to die. Sometimes your spouse just leaves, right? So no, I, look, I enjoy, I agree hundred percent for the need for better understanding, and that's the goal behind uh, she invests. But the action in the action, I think it depends from family. I don't think there is a right or wrong. Mm. I think you know I can argue there is situations where it makes sense for the uh, husband to take the lead. Situation for the wife to take the lead, a situation where maybe they either separate, keep the money separated, or jointly take the lead on on their common money. I think you know, depending on the case, each of them are possible. Uh, you know, that they may they might make sense. What I definitely agree with you is that every woman should be in a situation that, in a, at every point of time, knows where is what is the current financial situation of their of her family. What happens if tomorrow the husband leaves or get hit by a bus? And what can she do the next day, the following day, to ensure that her and her family actually continues to kind of thrive and, and live a good life? And that is cornerstone of this. Cornerstone of this is really understanding, it's financial knowledge. And sharing of information within the couple. So I think one thing that we've encouraged in a few, I've been, a, I moderated a few panels where 
the panelists were all women and I was, you know, just I was using my Michelle. <laughs> my aunt, Michelle. My, exactly. My, yes. My, the mispronunciation of my first name, Michelle, yes. is my, kind of my alter ego. Mm-hmm. Now, but jokes aside, so I've been in those conversations and a few of these very experienced women in finance. Some of the things they said is it's very important that you're, you're aware of what happens in every case, right? And it's very important. And one of the suggestions that came up is making sure there is enough conversations, husband and wife, or, you know, partners about finance early on. And a lot of people are just a bit scared about talking about money. Hmm. Uh, and uh, you, do you think that's still the case? It depends. I think, yeah, in some, in some cases, yes. And again, I think it goes down to education, right? You know, if you don't feel that, you know, if you feel, you know, one and your partner knows 100, you might not want to engage in a conversation. Well, if you feel you have the enough basic understanding, you might be, a bit, you know, even if you know less, which is fine, you know, maybe your partner works in, you know, is an investor by profession. And so obviously you're never going to catch up to that if you are, you know, if you're doing something else. But still, having a basic understanding will give you enough confidence to have the conversation. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a that's a good note to end off today's discussion on. Really appreciate you coming on to talk about the current state of play in the roles. In a wealth management space, a digital wealth management space, as well as a topic that I'm always interested in, which is how do we more women to be bolder in their investing styles and to be more active in conversations around, you know, investments and what kind of asset classes they should be putting their money in. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And for, you know, listeners who want to follow you or, you know, check out more of your products, where should they go to? Uh, if you go to stashaway.com, you'll find all the information and you can, you know, you're able to download the app on, on any of the app stores. And that's, you know, and it's very easy to use, as I mentioned earlier. So everybody will understand very quickly. Cool. And we'll include the links on the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts, or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.